Now introducing the Minor Wisdom Trio! Minor Wisdom! Cody Edgar this week. Short intro, because I think I'm going to start putting a lot of my intros with the rest of the podcast behind the paywall. I was told by somebody this week that there are people out there interested in what I have to say. I don't know if I believe her, but let's experiment a little. So for the next, there it is, next couple of weeks, intros are going to be behind the paywall on Patreon, which is in the link for the show. Uh, And I just need you all to know that this intro is enough. I've been a theater rat pretty much my entire life. Uh, when I was super young, I thought it was sports because I liked sports, um, but my um, abilities were not there ever. Um, and my uh, parents knew that, but also I don't think they were going to push me either which way. Uh, I, did, you know, I did the theater camps in the summer at the high school, and then throughout the year I was busy with soccer and baseball and basketball, mostly basketball which was the one I had a little bit more of an affinity towards. So basketball was definitely the thing I leaned in towards most because I at least could make a basket. Uh, I really couldn't hit the ball in baseball or, you know, not get plowed over in football. So that was kind of the choice. Um, and it, it wasn't until I think seventh grade where it became a thing where I was on the basketball team and I also got a part in a play at the school and they made me choose and I chose basketball and I watched that play and I went, dang, that looked, you know, way way more fun than riding the bench. So it was around eighth grade. I I grew up in Clear Lake here in Houston. It's a little suburb. And then I moved to San Antonio and I got put into a uh, few parts over in the Ronald Reagan high school department, which is where I went to school in San Antonio. And it was just bit parts and musicals. I couldn't sing really well, but I could move and I could, uh, you know, emote as a chorus member. So uh, they put me in the back and I, I fell in love with it. And uh, even more than I had, I think my parents always knew that was going to be the thing for me. But again, they were really good about not pushing me. My dad, when my dad had me, he was 56. So by the time I was around, um, you know, age of trying to pick stuff, he was nearing 70. So he was pretty much, you know, I think he had seen, you know, I have five brothers, I have five brothers and sisters. So he had seen this before. Uh, So he was like, he's going to figure it out. And so um, I eventually did. um, And I joined the high school program at Reagan and we moved back to Clear Lake uh, to my mom's old job. And when we did, I got ingrained in there pretty fast. Um, and we were doing a play and my father passed away during a dress rehearsal. Um, and um, uh, that's also, I think, where I learned the community side of theater because suddenly everybody from that cast was all over me, protecting me, making sure I was okay, taking me out to do things, to take my mind off it, calling in if I was having a day off. My father passed away on a Monday. On a Friday was his funeral, and that same day was opening night. And um, I played Gremio in Taming of the Shrew, which is like the perverted old man comic relief character. And I think, you know, what I remember earlier in that week being like, there's no way I could do that show. And then halfway through the week being like, there's no way I couldn't because it was just such an, you know, I think kids love theater sometimes because it is an escape, 
but in a way too i feel like it's the most of ourselves will ever be is playing a character because we're finding all these different facets of ourselves you know so i think i was able to explore my grief and trauma even as a comedic character on stage you know a few times also it was nice that my entire family was in town you know so they could all come see me in the show so that was you know nice but after that you know i that was junior year so i had to start picking what i wanted to do and i knew i wanted to do theater but um my mom and dad had locked down some financial plans that would fund me fully for a public texas school so i could do theater but it had to be in texas and my mom would not send me just to get an acting degree because she was not going to play that game um i was the kid that from six years old wanted to go to the disney auditions you know what i mean that would always pop up in town i was always the kid that was like oh yeah i'm gonna book that for sure um and she never wanted that life for me and she also never wanted she thought i couldn't make it as a struggling actor which having taught a bunch of struggling actors now i could not have made that life so she made the right call so she was the one that said you know ut uh, austin has a really good theater teaching program um and if you uh go do that you can have a degree and you can go audition for stuff but you'll have that you know to quote unquote fall back on and i said okay uh went to my first year at ut uh was not ready to go to college at all i was still dealing with my dad's stuff and i was still you know not you know functional by myself so i ended up failing out of ut first year um because and half of the reason why was because it was this you know monumental debate between uh going to class or simpsons dvds in my dorm and that's and that kept winning somehow uh me and my friend paul just sitting there playing rock band while i was supposed to be taking a final or something um, so, and there's not even, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have a dramatic kind of bend to their failing out story. I just didn't go to class. And I, when I, when that was available to me, I was like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and then I just would show up to things and not know what to do. And I'd be like, I guess I should have gone to class. So I, uh, was sent home for a semester. Um, and that really, I think, uh, I think I needed, that was the first time I think I had finally fallen and hitting that rock bottom. So I was like, oh, I kind of started to take a little bit more stock of how lucky I was to be at you know that university and have the parent backing I did I think everybody I thought everybody had that and I started to see that I was very privileged and I kind of threw my privilege down the drain so it was not really a dropout as much as it was a one semester suspension so I got to go back my second semester of my sophomore year and when I was there I you know decided to put myself out there a little bit more audition for more things um and the other thing that was nice was I started to get some lead roles, which was never a thing in my life. And it was also for plays that were not necessarily the main stage plays, but like some weird, you know, grad student wanted to do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I was like, yo, it's my favorite play. Let's go. You know what I mean? Like, and so I was playing Rosencrantz and like in this like lecture hall and having the time of my life, you know. Um, and then by the time, so the way that the theater ed program works at UT is at least when I was there, you don't start theater classes till junior year. Um, like, uh, sorry, you don't start uh, teaching classes till junior year. That's when they first start. Like you learn theater basics and what they want you to know about the curriculum. And then you go learn how to teach it. So junior year, we start doing the theater classes and I'm skeptical going all the way in. And I'm telling everybody they're like, you're getting a teaching degree. I'm like, yeah, but it's going to be the backup. You know, it's not my thing. And it, I think it, it must have taken less than a month 
for me to like sit there. And I was under the direction of Roxanne Schroeder Arce uh, and Joan Lazarus, who has since moved on from the university. But they were my two main teachers. I had wonderful teaching assistants during that time too, but they were the two main teachers that I think, uh, you know, we had a class of eight kids, like only eight students were in this, you know, department uh, for this class. And we spent most of our time just talking about what we wanted to do, getting up in front of each other and doing it and traveling to schools and showing it off. And I, you know, a lot of it was so different for me in ways of like, I never like during those first two years of college was like, how would I be as a teacher? I was like, I'm going to be lazy and I'm not going to care because I have an audition later that day. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think it was those classes where I just suddenly was like, oh, this is all, this is, this is way better than anything I've ever felt uh, on stage. And I I often attribute to my kids because my kids ask me what was the first time I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Um, And I think it came a little bit later, but it was the first time I coached someone on a monologue and they nailed it and how much better that felt than me nailing a monologue. (laughs) I think that was the first time where I was like, whoa, like, this giving this gift and watching others run with it and the pride you feel and the satisfaction of seeing a kid who you've seen for four years get to that point. Like, I think maybe it's either because, you know, it's, it's so less personal and so much more of a global feeling of you're putting something into the world rather than you're perfecting a self-taught art. You know, I feel like that's just something that was something I never considered. And by the time I got there, that's what they did for me. They opened my eyes and they taught me, you know, and then besides that, obviously I learned all the, you know, different pedagogy and the thing, ways to get things done and, you know, how to be good to kids. And, you know, um, and also we were very encouraged to, you know, challenge their ideas and maybe not necessarily take them on face value. I remember Joan Lazarus told me you can never be sarcastic with kids. And I was like, girl, that's my whole shtick. Like, you can't take that from me. You know what I mean? Like, that's going to be my, that's going to be my ace in the hole. Um, because I'm, I, I'm sarcastic with my kids on good or bad days. Uh, because kids will come in and go, uh, you know, oh man, I messed that up so bad. I'm like, oh yeah, did you hear the audience? They were booing you. Like they were throwing apples, you know what I mean? And they're like, no, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that bad. So get it together, you know? So I use sarcasm a lot. Maybe I shouldn't, but uh, that again, that time was a playground. The the best thing about that was we would, you know, a lot of my contemporaries were in there for elementary school, and we would uh, they want to be elementary teachers, so we would do enactments and stuff. But I always knew if I was going into this, I was going to do high school. I always knew that was maybe because it was such a personal time for me for developing into an artist. Um, but I knew that was going to be my route. So you know, we would pretend like basically we would get up in front of each other and one of us would be the teacher and we would have to re-enter the classroom as that teacher's students and go through their lessons that they had written. And part of the fun for me was me and my friend Brad Bilodeau um, and my other friend Martin, who's in um, uh, Los Angeles right now, we would uh, we would just pr- pick what type of kid in class we were uh and just be awful during those classes just to mess with our uh the people teaching the classes so my friend uh dominique you know i would go over and pull her hair during the class and like just to like give the teacher like make make it harder for them uh so my friend christina who was supposed to be leading the class would be like uh cody i'm like my name's billy i don't know who you're talking to you know what i mean like billy why'd you pull uh her hair i'm like because i secretly like her 
Uh, and she was like, she was like, don't do that. So we were just, we were just playing and having fun. And that was some of the most rewarding time of my life in terms of, uh, especially with Joan and Roxanne, they made it such a playground for how you were going to be. And I truly think that in our, you know, such open-ended curriculum and such open-ended way of doing things. It's really hard to teach someone how to teach theater and have them get into a classroom for the first time and nail it. You know, like, I think the hardest thing for me was dealing with apathy. Um, When we were in those classes, we got zoned to Anderson High School, who Bobby Malone was the head director of at the time. Uh, he was there with his wife, uh, Anne, and they were um, so gracious to us, but they only gave us their best classes. Um, and so we would go in there and we would teach these theater kids stuff. And they were excited because we were the college kids and we were excited because they were, you know, the top theater kids at this high school. And we did, you know, plays with them and they loved it and we loved it. And then uh, I got to my first year of actual teaching by myself and I got met with that. I don't care. You know, I don't like this place. I don't like you. I don't want to be here. And I don't think I was ever really taught for that. (laughs) And so that hit me pretty hard. Um, So I go through UT. I graduate. uh, Because of that extra semester that I took off, uh, by the time I graduated, I did not have the full teaching requirements yet. So I had to wait a little bit and get some stuff done online while I went back home to Houston. Luckily, I had a couple of buddies who moved back down with me. So we got an apartment, we got a house together. And um, during that time, uh, I've always been an improviser. Uh, Improv is a huge part of what I do. And so I uh, auditioned for an improv troupe called Beta Theater in Houston, now defunct. Um, uh, And we... um, we, I did weekly shows with them, and then they asked me to teach their curriculum. Um, so I took level one of improv with them, and then they asked me to teach level two. Um, so I taught uh, level two improv to, like, business professionals, like lawyers and nurses and random, like, it was a class of 10 of us, random, like, hairdressers and you know it was, it was just just different walks of life that wanted to get better at this and that was super rewarding because those people had no expectations they just wanted to get better at speaking to people and having fun so i'm sitting there teaching them you know del close like crazy concepts and they're loving it because they have no idea what this world is um so they're a lot more free too than a kid in the classroom because they're just they really don't care because they have this entire life over here that they can go uh, too. And that was super fun. So I think that helped me a lot because I got to see what it was like to teach people way older than me, really. But they thought I had something to tell them. And um, that was also where I started a podcast with my friend um, that we still have going to this day. Um, my friend Ned, we went to high school together, we did theater together. And we have a podcast called Honey, I Shrunk the Binge, which is a uh, a podcast where we watch the first and last episodes of TV shows that we've never seen uh, and try to make up what's in the middle. Um, It's a concept that's been stolen at least seven times since we started it. But uh, when we started, it was pretty fresh. Um, We also go into movie theaters and watch the first 15 minutes and then go into the parking lot and talk about what might happen. And then we walk back in for the last 15 minutes. Um, That's pretty fun. Um, So that was just a nice, it was at first, I thought it was a curse to not go get my first teaching job that first year, but I mean, living in the city and being, you know, I was a, I worked for Tiff's Treats delivering cookies. And then at night I would go do improv with my friends. And at the time I hated it. 
And now I look back like, man, that was nice. <laughs> that was nice just to have that uh, freedom. Um, at that point, uh, I was looking for jobs in May of 2016. And a person by the name of Katie Taglebue, uh, who is now the head director of Katie High School, she puts out a Facebook post that's like, hey, looking for a co-teacher. Uh, and so I responded to it. Um uh, long story short, uh, I took the job. I am now the godfather of Katie's daughter. Um, she's my best friend in the entire world, her and her husband, Garrett. And um, that's kind of where I started. Um, she was looking for a co-teacher. She had just taken a new job at Coppers Cove High School. And I uh, joined with her and we both went in just as co-heads. We didn't have any kind of delineation. Neither of us knew tech. So that wasn't going to be a like, like dis discussion of who was the tech director. Um, so neither of us knew anything. Uh, she had taught for a year at a junior high in Belton and I had never taught before. So we got in there to Coppers Cove and Coppers Cove is the weirdest little 6A school. It's in the Colleen area, about 30 minutes south of Waco hour north of Austin. And I just moved out there. Um, I, I drove out there to the uh, interview and it was like driving into another world for me. You know, it was just such a different landscape of people and the type of kids you're going to get. And I, you know, I spent three years at Copper's Cove. Katie was there for two. We had a million, you know, amazing moments with those kids. We took them to area at UIL. They had never been that far um, they were, uh, gracious for everything, any kind of attention you could give them. They're gracious. And part of that reason why a lot of them were military brats. So when they weren't with us, if they, if they were late to rehearsal, it's usually because they were picking up their kid, you know, their sibling from school, or they were trying to get to their, you know, second job or something. Um, and, and due to that too, we had a lot of very little parental support. So it was really me and Katie, fighting a battle uh you know and ultimately losing every time but you know the fight made it worth it and also those kids knew we were fighting and i think a lot of them you know still remember us um to this day and that's really gratifying and you know we were doing weird stuff uh like in terms of like we did curious right when it became available curious incident and that was very different for them who had typically stuck to like you know uh, Aesop's fables and stuff like that for their, you know, stuff. The other thing that was weird about it was it was a beautiful facility. Uh, Copper Scope High School has this like amazing theater, but it's all set up for the band. So the aprons like, you know, 30 feet or something just to get that band on there, no pit. Um, and so, um, yeah, those three years I think were again, kind of trial by fire, just because it was so hard to get any of those kids to give a crap about what we were doing or why they should be there, especially when they had so many real world uh, problems at home. Why should they memorize Antigone when, you know, mom's hasn't been home in three days and they don't know where she is, you know? That's where I really got the concept, you know, of, uh, I really believe in nurture over nature. I just think that's, I mean, I feel like that is... So especially in a place like that, where like, you know, I had a kid one time come in and knock over a huge shelf of mine, send everything on the ground. And I was shaking. I was so mad. I found out his dad was in prison and his mom had just got out. You know, like there's there's moments like that that I think allowed me 
especially when you're a young teacher and you're so close to them in age and you expect them to get it because you do, <laughs> um, it helps you step out just a little bit. And then, um, but I did three years over there and it was time for me to get out because, uh, you know, I was still doing the podcast with my friends. I was still trying to do comedy with my friends here in Houston. I was just having to drive back pretty much every weekend um, trying to get in here to get something done. So uh, I spent the last part of my third year there, um, you know, going out for, you know, interviews every weekend down here. And um, I interviewed at some great places and did not get uh, accepted. I think that was I, I felt like, you know, I was back in audition days, uh, you know, when you're, you know, putting your best self out there. And I also think that taught me a lot because I think I try to tell my kids, especially when you're at like a high program, like I am, it's hard to break in, especially when you're doing your best, but someone else is doing their best and beating you. Uh, it's very tough to get that concept across to a kid that I think you did a great audition. I think they did a better one. And that's why they got the part. And I got told that several times. And I'll mention the school because I have no ill will. Uh, Peyto High School had just opened up. I go down there. There is a beautiful facility, if you've ever been over there. And then there's also, and like, you know, I go over there and it's a brand new school. They're saying, you're going to get to make the curriculum and you're going to get to create the first theater program. And you don't have to wash off the think of previous teachers and you don't have to compete with the kids for oh we used to do it this way and now we're doing it you know it was like this perfect scenario i went in i did the interview of my life like i like i killed that thing like i was like i walked out of there like i've got this job like i was like we need to start picking out apartments like i'm you know i'm good to go uh and um i didn't get it and i hounded them and not hounded. i i emailed them because pretty persistently of like, can I please have some feedback? And it, and it took their principal being nice enough to tell me, we thought you had a wonderful interview. We went with an internal hire who we know and trust. Um, and we know she's going to do great things, which she has. Um, and, um, you know, but hey, we, I would not, like she pretty much said, I thought you had a great interview. She might maybe gave me a couple of tips on this or that, uh, but she really, she validated like you know what I was doing and that led me to not give up I think and so I kept because that was my sixth school by that time that turned me down um then I went to my seventh and it was Dawson High School um and I didn't know much about Dawson but I saw John Grimmett who was the current head director and he had posted these incredible pictures and I think and it was technically just so you know proficient and the space and how they used it was unlike anything I had ever done. And I was like, I know that's my next step is how do I make shows that look that, like this? And so um, I interviewed for that job um, and I interviewed for a couple other jobs in the area. And those jobs, the other jobs told me yes. And I told them, okay. And I didn't quite commit. And then, uh, cause the next day Dawson had to make their uh, decision. And then uh, the principal at the time, Kelly Holt calls me up and told me I got it. And I was so happy and I came in and we did In the Heights when I first got here. And then we did Hello Dolly. And I was like, this is it. This is how you do things around here. And I was learning so much so quickly. And it was just such a, you know, suddenly I had parents asking me what they want the costumes to look like. And I'm like, I didn't know parents could help with plays. Uh, you know, I just never had that before. They're like, we have a booster club. I'm like, a what? Uh, like, they were just like so 
everybody was so in the kids were good um but the thing about the kids was they uh didn't take the theater classes and that was something that irked me and john is that they had never had because john taught all the tech classes and up until that point they had you know told me that there wasn't a lot of actual teaching going on in the acting classes and that was something that they were really you know, so that they didn't see the value of it. And that's something that like I love to do is get that theater one kid who has no experience and shoot him up to productions by his junior year and watch him get an honorable mention all-star cast award senior year. That's my favorite thing in the world is seeing some kid skyrocket. And so I, um, you know, something that when I got, got with John, I told him and he was completely supportive of is that we want to kind of refit these classes to, you know, because what happened was I got to In the Heights and all these kids were so good. I'm like, oh, my God, when do I get to see you in my class? Like, oh, I don't take theater classes. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> like, and so my first day of uh, Dawson was just nothing. It was just class after class of apathy, including like the theater three class was like kids who just didn't care. And kids who would tell me to my face, we didn't do anything. I don't want to do anything. We didn't do anything. And I was like, oh, well, we're going to do stuff. And they were like, uh, like, and so I, I feel like that's, you know, an ongoing battle. No matter what year you get to, you're always going to have those kinds of kids. And I love reaching out to those kids and making that community that supports them and makes them feel like, even if it's not something they love, they might love me or they might love the people they're with and they might want to just do it. Um, so we do in the heights hello dolly and we're getting ready for uil and uh mid uh spring break we get a call from uil to shut everything down and that was covid and um we uh so my first year at dawson was ended by covid um we go online we come back and we made two movies that year which we made a movie of hamlet uh which we shot with like different camera angles and um, I told John I knew film, which was part, partly a lie and partly the truth because I had seen a lot of movies and I had always wanted to make a movie, but I never made a movie. And so me and him worked tirelessly on putting that thing together and we were super proud of it. And then we did a play called This Girl Laughs, This Girl Cries, This Girl Does Nothing. Um, and we shot that in a multicam, almost sitcom kind of way in the round where we had four cameras always going. And then I'd also be going across with a little mini cam and we had dual casts for that. So that was mostly for our younger kids who weren't in UIL. And then we did UIL 2020, which is when we did 33 variations and, uh, we went to state and that was the most surreal few months of my life. Cause it was like, you're building a play with masks on and you're, you know, rethinking everything you know about performance because you're, you know, unable to see their facial expressions. I mean, I know, you know, it's just a completely different world. And then you're getting round through round. And I had never done UIL with Dawson before. Me and John had never done UIL before together. And suddenly we're at state and we're like, what's going on? It was just, it was, it was, it was an incredible experience. And the only thing I wish is that I wish it was more of the typical state experience for those kids. We drove to Waxahachie and back the same day. Um, we sat with our friends and family in the theater and watched the results. Um, and, you know, still super gracious just to be, you know, I never thought I was 29 when that happened. And to be able to go to state and experience that by the time I was 30 was something I understand is not, you know, crazy, uh, uh like done it's not done a lot and, and and also it's you know such a privilege so we were 
over the moon happy. And also those kids, you know, I, I, I spent so many days just like fighting back tears watching those kids because they were so resilient. They wanted to make art. And they like, you know, they knew they had been shortchanged a year, um, but they also were going to fight. And they were also a bunch of really heavy MT kids, like super musical theater inclined that were learning how to do real world acting and Shakespearean acting and all these crazy things on the fly. And they were game. They were so game. Um, so I loved that time. Um, next year was when we f- fully came back and we did Chicago in the fall. And that was fun because um, I always wanted to do that show, but I do think there are certain shows you don't do in high schools but I always believed that that show wasn't about the sex and the violence as much as it was about the fame aspect. And that's something that me and John really grabbed onto is if we're going to do this show, how are we going to make it more about, you know, careful what you wish for type, you know, fame chasing stuff. And so we did that. We were super proud of it. We then went to um, sound of music, had, you know, incredible run with that. Got to work with little kids who, you know, um, that was amazing. And then we did, um, my friend the octopus which was john's original play um and that was an experience in itself being able to work with a playwright right there um and also you know I, there was a lot of pressure there too uh where you're trying to make his baby come to life and that was you know something he had seen in his head so clearly and i'm sitting there like how about this and you know he's like you know trying to tell me in the nicest way possible that that's not what he's seeing and i'm like okay well that, you know that's what we're trying to do man you're the head director and the playwright like how can i serve that and i felt by the end man we made something beautiful i'm really proud of and then it wasn't long after that that john told me he was you know he was going to be leaving um and uh that was scary too uh because he uh you know you know john he's a huge figure in this uh field throughout texas and throughout you know the nation when it comes to theater and writing theater and making theater he's you know he's a big force and uh i spent three years super excited that i got to be a part of it and now very quickly it was do you want to be run of the show and um my role with john he'll tell you this was it was a very much he was the serious uh dad that was taking everybody through the motions and i was the fun time mom um that was there to cheer everybody up when things got bad and make the dumb jokes and the fun thing about john is you know john he's hilarious but he only played those cards little by little with the kids sometimes where it'd be like, Oh, Grimmett's having a goofy day so that he could be a little bit more uh, authoritative when he needed to. And so I think for my kids, when they heard that I was going to maybe try to take over, it was a very scary thing because it was like, Oh, mom's turning mean. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like, is, is she going to like, I think they worried if I had the ability to, you know, completely play those both roles, especially when, when he left, um, we had brought in somebody, uh, we brought in David Smith, who was my um, uh, assistant teacher last year, my tech director, who was a first year teacher, 22 years old. And so it was like, there goes Grimmett, and here, here comes, you know, this goofy guy that's been, you know, hanging in the wings for three years and a 22 year old uh, nervous Nelly. How do we get this done? Um, and so, uh, I, I think what I did was I used that summer and I just went, I'm going to plan out this whole year and I'm going to introduce as many new things as I can 
and I'm going to reinforce any things that work as much as possible. And I had this awesome team of officers that year that just helped me throughout the way. And they believed in me. And um, we had an amazing year. We, uh, we started off with love and information as a fall play, which they were not used to doing a fall play, but I thought it was really going to be good for them. And then we, um, uh, we did Matilda and then we took uh, our UIL to region, which was super gratifying. Uh, just to know I could, you know, be successful as a head director was, you know, obviously great, but also that those kids believed in me and that they believed in each other enough to, you know, they've been to region three years in a row now and they know that, but they also know they haven't done anything this year and doesn't matter. And you have to start with every new contest. And I think that was super gratifying to see them succeed like that. And now uh, the Tuesday uh, I took, when we got out of UIL, the next Monday, I think I had a doctor's appointment or something. And then the Tuesday after, David comes up to me crying. Uh, David Smith does. And I'm like, oh, you're leaving me. <laughs> and he uh, he got um, accepted, one of three people to get accepted to the uh, U of H set design program for masters. Um, and of course he had to go. Um, and I think that's been part of, you know, why one of the things that I love about this industry is that if you do it right, you don't lose anybody truly. Um, Grimmett is a phone call away. I'll probably call him sometime today. We talk on weekends. He's a good friend of mine. Like I said, Katie Taglebu, I'm the godfather of her daughter. I get to see her grow up. I get to see my friends all the time. And then with David, you know, he um, has been, he was here yesterday helping us with set builds because he's still in the area and he still wants to help and he loves these kids. And, you know, we love him. And so it's nice to make those connections and hold on to them and not leave with any ill will um, because I think that's the way to do things. Um, but what that opened up was where I am now, which is I'm starting off the year. We're doing big fish. Uh, we've been in rehearsals for three weeks, um, have our set almost completely built up. And our new tech director is a Copper's Cove student. I had my first year that went to Texas state and went through the ring, ringer over there and came to me and, uh, or I came to him and I was like, Hey, you're graduating. Right. And, uh, uh, you want to come be my tech director and he did. And so that's, I, uh, this whole summer has been very surreal. I'm sitting in teacher meetings with my former student and I'm, you know, um, you know, calling him Mr. Carter instead of Andrew and all that great stuff. So yeah, uh, Andrew Carter is my new assistant. We're going to start this year off. We've got um, big fish coming up uh, hairspray in January and then whatever we're going to do for UIL, we're going to do it as much as possible. So that's kind of where we're at cool. to this day uh three weeks of rehearsal already <laughs> yeah 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 that's and that's a um again there's certain things that you get to a school and that's just kind of the norm yeah. and the parents are telling you well what are we doing over christmas break and i'm like i don't want to do anything over christmas break they're like i didn't plan a vacation because yeah. of y'all and i'm yeah. like i didn't say you know so i have kids that are like wanting to do stuff so what we've kind of come up with is a compromise which is we do two musicals every two years. So we do a fall play that starts the first week of school, or we do a musical that kind of eats into the summer a little bit. And obviously, you know, we're not going over the entire thing, but you know, I have student choreographers that are working all summer, putting it together um, and they teach it to the people below them. And it's, uh, it's super gratifying, but yeah, we've been here for a while. (laughs) We've been here for a little bit. I think that's a pretty good, uh, plan to do, you know, to set the groundwork for two, 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 uh, musicals every year, you know, uh, letting them know that it's not going to be an annual thing, whatever the schedule is. I, you know, that's a good, good way to kind of, uh, combat some of that 
I guess, uh, you know, the, I don't know what the word is. English is not my first language, but yeah, to sort of well, get, <laughs> get in front of things like that. So, uh, that's good. Well, the other thing is it's such a musical powerhouse school. That's how yeah. it's, how it's been since the days of Tim Monroe. It was just always been, you know, so known as a school that puts on these great musicals. And I want to honor that. And I've also learned how to do that from John and how to put on a great musical. But I also think that part of the success was that, you know, you need to lay that theatrical groundwork yeah. with straight plays and comedies. And that's something I think that, you know, because Secret in the Wings was, you know, that's a Mary Zimmerman kind of metamorphoses-esque bunch of different stories play. Um doing love and information was, you know, set that up that groundwork to make mm -hmm. that happen that I don't think a musical would have as much. So I think it helps with your success. I wonder if Tim Monroe can sing and dance. I've never, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I've never, you know, what's so funny is that for three years I worked here, I had never met him. And then I finally met him at our cabaret last year. Yeah. And, um, it was so, it was so funny to talk to him because it was like, we were saying like, how have we never met? Cause I had seen him at a million things. And I know he has a lot of close relationships around here with like Stuart, who I know pretty well yeah. um but uh he was uh no he was great we just you know he, him and you know roxanne silva is our choir director and their best friend so he really helped out uh you know build all this what it is and um yeah. you know i just i love the name i love that ovation you know it, it is called ovation theater and i love that it has a brand and i love that it has something to measure up to yeah. like i think that's you know having tim have been a state winner you know i think that's awesome to have that legacy so yeah that's right yeah um uh the what was i oh the, katie uh i taught with garrett for one year i mean it was uh no you know, way yeah, yeah yeah i was at travis high school for a year it was the the oh, that's awesome. that full like online year pretty much the 20 to 21 but i i yeah. know i know garrett i don't know katie that well i know you know i know ever and i've met her and and all that stuff and i know she's yeah, she's, she's at katie with charlie woods and stuff but um yeah. yeah and charlie by the way too is the best yeah man. uh charlie is like he we have this thing we do called boot camp which i need to get you out for sometime where we have uh different guest artists come in and teach my kids kind of like a mini fest fest right before oh, yeah. the year starts and yeah and it's super fun we had uh a trust brown was out here doing some fight combat stuff um one of my friends from la was doing some filmmaking stuff with them because uh, he's on the writer's strike right now yeah. and um then um uh charlie came in and helped my kids and he's he's awesome and how much he does for that's fast or for thespians and stuff yeah. he's awesome dude yeah, Atrus is yeah, kind of Garrett's, a, Garrett's funny, man. That Atrus is a sham, that guy that uh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no good. Yeah, no, no good. good. No good. And guy. he also also lazy. Yeah, like, very just lazy. Lazy as literally, literally throws kids around. Uh but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has no skills, so he thinks he can walk into your school and throw your kids around. Yeah. yeah awful I love, dude. I love H. He's awful literally guy. one of the coolest people in the world. Yeah, he's, but, uh, he's the best dude. Yeah. Uh so do you so uh, well, I'll get dark in a minute, but I want to, before I get dark, we'll, oh, awesome. we'll, we'll explore something else. <laughs> so do you think the good cop, bad cop thing or the, the, the serious father and fun loving mother, do you think that that's a style <laughs> that you just kind of organically fell into? Or is that something that you kind of yeah. feel works most of the time or talk on that? Yeah. Um, my, like even when I worked with Katie, Katie's tougher than me on like <laughs> for sure. Uh, and you wouldn't think about it, but like, if you ever seen Katie with kids, she is like snapping. They're, they're good. Um, Cause she sets really good, you know, 
bylaws. I get kids to like me or at least listen to me based on the fact that I am fun loving and that's my usual state. Um, when I'm not, I, I think that's part of what I, I'm very good at doing like the energetic, come on y'all, let's go. Let's like, here's my vision. I'm going to tell it to you with emphasis and enthusiasm. So you think that I'm bought in cause I am, and that'll hopefully buy you in. Um, my big thing is that I don't like, I don't get mad that often. Um, and so, and, that, and that's just typically who I am. Um, but when I do, I think it alerts kids a little bit more. I'm the kind of dude that like, if I'm having a sad day, you know, kids, like I walk in the door and kids go, what's wrong? You know what I mean? Like they, I, I cannot hide it for being an acting teacher. I cannot hide my emotions at all. Um, so I do feel like with me and John, it was an organic thing because John will tell you, he can be grumpy for sure. Um, he can be a grumposaurus. But the other thing about it is if he didn't have that other side or if I didn't have that other side, it wouldn't work. So if John was just grumpy the whole time but couldn't sit here and laugh with the kids and play funny songs on the piano and you know engage them as you know people, he wouldn't work. If I was just goofy, silly, you know, laugh em ups all day, but couldn't sit here and have a real conversation with someone about how they're feeling or, you know, come down on a kid that should be doing better, um, I don't think it would work. We never had a discussion where John said, you're going to be the nice one. <laughs> I'm going to be the mean one. And that's not even really what it is. It's just about I do think that it's nice to have different personalities in a partnership because kids gravitate towards what they want to be around. Um, the nice thing about me is I'm a huge extrovert and a lot of theater kids are. So they see me be big and huge and they make them go, Oh, I can be big and huge. I can, you know, be silly and then also be serious when it's time to, and I can show my emotion when, when it's time to. Um, when I taught with David Smith last year, the wonderful thing about, uh, we called him Smitty. Uh, the wonderful thing about Smitty was he was so reserved um, that, you know, he, he, like, especially for a tech director, he, spoke to a lot of kids who me or John maybe weren't able to because we're so big and over the top. Uh, they saw, oh, I can be in a leadership position, but I can still be, I don't have to be, blah, I can, you know, out there. I can be reserved and I can do that. Cause, and the thing about Smitty too was, again, he had the other side too, where like we had this whole uh, thing on Instagram where we were like, if you give us 150 likes, Smitty hits the gritty uh, in the classroom. Uh, and, um, he did it and he did it with a big smile on his face and everybody went nuts for it. So he had that other side too. I think it is about being multifaceted and knowing what is your base level at, but also how can you serve kids that don't respond to that as much as others do? You know what I mean? Like, I do think that especially with every kid, you need to know what they're going to relate to. I know that one of my officers, if I start every day off with a joke with him, we're going to be good. And another officer, if I ask how she's doing, that's going to be a better in with her. Right. You know what I mean? Another kid, they might want to see the newest TikTok I found that I thought they might think is funny. Um, I do this thing with my kids where I'm like, you're not allowed to make a face. Here's a TikTok. And yeah. like, you know, like, and we just see how many can survive through how many TikToks. And some people love that. Some people don't, you know what I mean? And like, I think that serving both of those populations is, um, is super like, I don't know. I, I don't think prescribing it works. I think it's good. Like kids are the ultimate, you know, sniffers when it comes to truth right. like you know kids will nail you for who you are pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> and if you're acting like something you're not i think they're gonna know yeah i agree with that have you oh, yeah. speaking of that uh have you found a balance with your sarcasm 
Yeah, you gotta, I mean, I'll go off on a tangent where I'll just make up this world that is not true. Um, and just to teach a point, um, I do think I've reached a balance. Um, it's, it, and again, I think if it's a moment like that needs it again, it always has to be a comedic moment. If a kid did a bad run, I would never go, Oh, that was awesome guys. Y'all killed that. Like I would never do it in a moment that needed to be teaching. Um, I usually try to save it for, um, I don't know. There's there's moments where you know we're all just joking around and I need to have that there. But I do feel like, you know, you don't think about how much your words impact these kids' entire days. Right. And I think I definitely learned that as I got older. I also think, you know, when I started off, I was 23. Um, you know, and I'm only 31. I'm very young. I know that. But the kids think I'm very old. Um, and, you know, back when I started, they were like, oh, you know our references. And I still know their references. It's just I have a beard now. Yeah. And they're like, you're not cool anymore. You know what I mean? Like, you're not you're not able to jive with us anymore. So uh, I think I've found a little bit of a balance with the sarcasm, but I could always get better. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, sarcasm is what leads my classroom, too, when I was in the classroom and yeah. uh, used to have students all the time ask if there's ever uh, ever a time when I'm not sarcastic, and I would just, you know, sarcastically <laughs> say no, but... Um, so the, yeah. the, the or the, I've never been sarcastic. What do you right, mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I've had a beard since I was fifteen, so um, you know I've always been viewed as the old guy. But uh, but I get it. I, you know the the good beard sometimes gives you away, distinguishes you a little bit. Um, so yeah. the 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 dark side of things. You and I have a, a rather uh, similar parallel story with our fathers passing away because I too was sitting in a uh, tech rehearsal. Uh, but I was at University of Houston at the time. And so uh, it was, um, you know, one of those things that you figure out, am I, do, do I come back to this process or do I, you know, stay away? Because, and I'm sure in your case, it was the same thing, but the people that you're surrounding yourself with will tell you both, you know, hey, if you need to stay away, yeah. it's fine. But if you come back, we'll we'll be here and, and, and keep trekking along with you. But, but uh but yeah, when you said that, I was like, oh man, that's very similar to what happened to me. So Yeah. Well, I also feel like people on the outside will judge you for either. Yeah. Right. Sometimes. Like, like I definitely had a friend who called me who lived in San Antonio, you know, and called me to, you know, say his condolences. And I was like, Oh, thank you, man. He goes, Where are you? I'm like, Oh, I'm at play rehearsal. And I think it was because I was so raw during that time. And he probably didn't say it as much as I heard it this way, right. but he was like you're at play rehearsal. How right. can you do that? Like, how, like, Oh my God. Like, are you okay? Why would you, you don't have to do that. And I was like, I, I know like I'm, I'm with people. And I think it was because if I wasn't at home, you know, I was 16. If I'm at home, what am I seeing? Yeah. I'm seeing my mom crying. I'm seeing people pick up his stuff. Yeah. I'm seeing my family who's never in town, in town telling stories about him. I don't know about you, um, how, uh, but you must've been college age when it happened. Yeah. I was 20, um, 24. But like, yeah. So, so for me, I, my grieving process with that was, I didn't want to talk about him for a little bit yeah. and I don't, and this is not, and I think it was because I was suddenly inundated with families surrounding me, telling me stories about him that anytime it hit I, and it was a, it was a classic avoidance. Yeah. It was not the right way to do things, but I was 16. I'm going to cut myself a little bit of slack, yeah. but I was like told like, you know, they would want to watch home videos and they would want to, you know, put on recordings and stuff like that. And I was like, I don't want to do any of this 
so for me, it was really about, and it wasn't that I was trying to forget him. It was that I was trying to, I, I just, if I went there, I know I wasn't coming out right. for a little bit. You know what I mean? So I, I do think there's like, especially when you're in that, like, so it was either the choice was I'm either going to go home and be reminded of him the entire time I'm there, or I'm going to go here and be supported and talk to, you know, because the other thing about maybe it was, you know, I wanted to feel special in a way that like when you're home, everyone's grieving, like yeah. no one's taking care of each other too much. <laughs> like, you know, my mom had lost a husband, my br- brothers and sisters had lost a dad too. Um, you know, my grand, you know, my nieces and nephews had lost a grandkid and were a uh, grandfather and were old enough to know what that meant. Right. Uh, and they were all staying at my house uh, to k- take care of us. Um, but I don't know. There was a little bit of escapism in it, but it was also, you know, I thought my dad wouldn't would want me to go do the job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he knew that's something I loved. He would want me to take care of it. And, you know, ultimately that was a choice, but I completely agree that it is, you know, uh, the theater community was very much like, especially I was under the director. Uh, Leanne Farley was my director uh, who has since passed away right. um, over at Clear Lake. But she told me, you know, this is on you. Like what you want to do, we're going to support. If you don't want to be here, we're going to, you know, send you home and we're going to think about you and dedicate the show to you and your father. And if you want to be here, this part's for you. Right. And I wanted to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, you say escapism and that maybe that's true, but um, there's also an element of like, uh, uh, I mean, it's, I don't know if escape is the right word in what I'm trying to say, but there's also the, it's a comfort thing. It's like, you've got to do what's comfortable yeah. to you and how you, uh, sort of, especially in death, how you grieve, but even when it's not something that's in death, just a traumatic experience, you know, you could, not that you were going through this at 16, but people going through a divorce or, you know, uh, their mm-hmm. kid or, or as, or as sort of, uh, bipolar as a, a child leaving for college and, you know, having sh- struggling with kind of like a, uh, an empty house, uh, for the first time, in a, you know, yeah. so it doesn't always have to be lost, but I think theater is a good place to um, kind of relax your mind a little bit sometimes and, and, and keep things, you know, it's all about that, that work-life balance, but it's also um, keeping your cup filled. And I just had this conversation yesterday with somebody, uh, somebody I was interviewing about how they fill their cup. Right. And, um, and so that's one of those things that theater just does that for you, you know? Well, I think it's also a balance of, it is that, existential type of cup filling that you can't describe about like how, you know, a connection might fill your cup or about how that, but it's also a task-based process that I don't know about you, but for me, like I love building an Ikea shelf. I love putting together something that's just this step goes to this step goes to this step and plays as, you know, out there as they are, are this page leads to this page leads to this page. And there is something nice about going, I go off stage. I change into this costume. I wait in the wing for this line. I go on stage. Like there is something nice about that process too. um, In terms of when you're in that raw state, normalcy is all you crave, right? right? All you want in the entire world is for things to go back to normal. And the closest thing to normal I felt at that time was going through processes like that, that felt you know, you know, one leads to two leads to three. Yeah. So. It's funny you say that. Cause a lot of, uh, I think I'm very left brained, uh, and I do like the processes and I do like systems and, and step-by-step type thing. Um, 
but artists are typically not viewed in that same vein. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Uh, you know, it's typically no. like go with the flow. Well, especially directors. Yeah, right. Yeah, but especially directors, you can't survive if you don't have a game plan. And I am way more, you know, right-brained when it comes to like, I love a, a rehearsal that's just us sitting there and improvising as characters yeah. or going about the motions of this play and how it makes us feel and Le Bon and, you know, all this stuff. But like, you know, not to get like too like, you know, inside baseball, but like Uta Hagen speaks to me a lot more now in my, you know, older, you know, self because it is so structured in terms of this makes you like if you study this, you can do this. Whereas Laban's a lot more like, feel it out, baby. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and like I um I love the duality of having both because people think exactly you said artists are just kind of painting on the canvas. But if you don't have a canvas that has these rigid structures of what to paint inside um it's hard and especially when you get to because half of the theater job i think all my friends think i do is sit around and make plays but like the scheduling and the buses and the you know uh, all that stuff that comes with it is not my first instinct so you know definitely delving into that i think it definitely is that kind of duality that you need to master but um i totally agree that yeah people think like oh yeah you just sit there with kids and tell them to sing and i'm like no man i gotta make sure they can be there and their parents know they're there and they're fed and you know yeah yeah so uh i want to i want to get you out of here on this it's one of my favorite questions to ask uh people just kind of that have been doing this now for uh, a, a while now and you've been to a couple different places uh, and you've had a couple different directors. So you kind of have experienced, you know, uh, some waves, you know, of, of sort of the, the world of theater education. But if you could go back and tell uh, your first year self some advice, right? Uh, what would, you know, you've almost been doing this for, for a decade now. So what would you sort of tell your... I can see the the cogwheels rolling in there. Uh, <laughs> what would you tell your first year self? You know, like to to kind of uh, relax. Is, Blake, this is an audio medium. You don't got to give away. Yeah. Oh, secret. right. Sorry. Sorry. Um, uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I, I think it's the same thing I tell my kids about years, and it sounds terrible, um, but I do allude to this a little bit as they get older which is that it's going to suck and it's going to rule. Yeah. Like, it, like that's what I would tell them. Cause I think every year, you know, especially at Dawson, when I first did that first day and John Gribbett will tell you, I had a panic attack after my first day of teaching. Yeah. And now granted I had been at rehearsal for a month and loving it. And then I got to my first day. And uh, at that time we didn't have the black box available to teach in. Cause the former teacher hadn't taught in the black box. They just, let kids go crazy and so i was in a classroom um teaching theater one with 30 kids and desks and it was so unlike anything i'd done i had just made this huge move oh my god sake my apartment wasn't as nice as i wanted it to be you know I, there, everything's crashing down on me i sat on the couch i'm looking at right now and i had a panic attack and the reason why is this finality that you feel Right. And that's usually when I have the most panic is when you feel finality, when you feel like what's happening right now and what I'm experiencing right now is all it's going to be. It's just going to be days after days of fear and stress and panic. And I'm not good enough. And that's a lot of what my first year was. It was me thinking I wasn't good enough. It's that old friend, the imposter syndrome. It's all this 
crap. Um, and I think what I would tell myself is that like, it's, I would tell myself it's not going to, there's not going to be zero days like this, but there's also right. not going to be every day like this. You are going to have, especially with like the, the number one reason I would not be, a, you know, that I would never leave this profession or like some version of it is that everything's so different all the time. Like you're working on one show and you can't conceive of another show until it's over if you're me. And then when it's over, you can't think of anything else. And then you go to Fest Fest and you have the time of your life. And then you have a bus breakdown the way from Fest Fest and it's the worst time of your life. And then you go off to this and you do this. So I think I would just tell myself, man, days are going to suck and days are going to rule. And you get to determine your attitude throughout those. Um, now, but like, I just think that the number one thing that kids feel too, when they're in a thing is such a, final like this is how i'm always going to feel mm -hmm. and like i've you know i have add i have some depression i have some mental health things and i think that's also where we definitely get tied up when we're in our states is that oh i'm feeling depressed right now i'm never not going to feel depressed right. this is the only feeling you can ever have for the rest of my life i'm scared and there is a nice thing to go if I look at my last year, my first year as head director, there were some days where I was on the floor trying to figure out my life. And there were other days I was holding a trophy or hugging my kids or yeah. laughing or, you know, crying from laughter. And I think knowing that there's that duality would have helped me a long time ago. Like that way I'm not like, cause then you're not second guessing the good times like oh are they gonna go away yeah but they're gonna come back you know what i mean and then you're also not second guessing the bad times is this forever no but it's also not you know only today it'll happen again but how can you be more equipped for that the good times and the bad times i think that's what i would tell myself is that everything is gonna rule and everything's gonna suck minor wisdom